0: Welcome, everyone, to the EOS Fireside Chat for November 2nd. For those who don't know, EOS is a layer one smart contract platform that is governed by its community. It's the only crypto network that has had a foundation emerge organically from within the community years after the launch of the network. Since the creation of the EOS Network Foundation one year ago, the new EOS has seen an incredible acceleration of progress and innovation. The EOS Network Foundation has built an excellent team that has been able to quickly establish essential frameworks that empower the EOS community to do its best work and live its best life. Through foundational initiatives like the recognition grants, the Blue Paper Research Series, the Pomelo crowdfunding platform, the Direct Investment Framework, and the ongoing EOS Roadshow, the community has been activated and energized to a level not seen since the launch of the network in 2018. EOS is in the midst of an epic narrative reversal, and the new EOS has the potential to become the greatest crypto comeback story of all time. My name is Stefan. I'm one of the co-founders of EOS Nation, currently a top-ranked block producer on EOS and other antelope chains. And I'm happy and honored to be your host today. So thanks everyone for joining us live on Discord. Um, of course, if you're live with us on Discord, we encourage you to join the show at any time. Uh, in the voice chat, just hop in, say hi, share a comment, a question. It's all good. We love hearing from uh, all of you. Uh, Also, shout out to everyone tuning in on other platforms as this show is streamed live to YouTube, Twitter and Facebook. And we'd encourage you guys to join our Discord server so you can get even closer to the action. Um, Today, we'll be, of course, talking about EOS, but also the Antelope ecosystem. Antelope is the name of the community owned blockchain software that powers a variety of highly performant blockchain networks. Such as EOS, Telos, Wax, UX, and many others. Today on the agenda, we've got some very spicy topics for everyone. Of course, big news last week was the partnership that was announced with the city of Busan. Um, we're hoping, uh, that Eve can make it onto the show today and we can hear some of his thoughts. Uh, the ENF also revealed their new CTO, uh, just a few moments ago uh, so Bart Wyatt is now the CTO and of the ENF and he's also uh, scheduled to join us today so that he can uh, say hi to the community maybe answer a couple of your questions the trust EVM GameFi hackathon event uh, there was a Twitter Spaces event just a few hours ago again this morning uh, revealing a lot of the finalists for the Trust EVM uh, hackathon. Some really cool looking projects uh, that made it to the finals and we'll be briefly going over them later on in the show. There's also the EVM slash ideathon um, video gallery that was just published. Chris Barnes is gonna be sharing more about that. We'll see if there was enough submissions to his liking. Um, we are going to also announce uh, the winners of the Road to 10K promotion. Uh, We're gonna be talking about the Rhett interview with Alcoin Daily that happened in Dubai. Uh, Antelope Tools by Edenia was recently released/slash rebranded. And the Eden Position paper was uh, published on Helios. And the Antelope Coalition calls are now uh published in written format. And We're gonna wrap up the show with some tips on how to write a great pomelo grant and of course the open mic session Um, Before we get started a bit of housekeeping as usual reminder to state your name when you jump on the mic and Of course reminder to share some pics and memes in the uh, text chat here. We love to see it Um, The pop token monthly raffle is going on today uh, so you still have about fifty minutes to join uh, to join join up the contest, blend yourself a raffle ticket for this month, and be eligible to win prizes uh, like EOS and or NFTs. So I'll share that link right now. You need four pop tokens to get in there to get into the raffle this month, um, and of course you can sign up in the Pop Bot chat channel. For your daily dose of pop tokens for those of you who are in here uh, on the far side Um, Yeah, so the road to 10k promo uh, where we're awarding prizes for community members who are inviting the most people Into the server, so we recently reached 6,000 members uh, last week (laughs) That's great to see the growth of the community and we'll be sending out some prizes. So our big winner is Chris Barnes, uh, who's earning himself 50 EOS. Uh, for uh, inviting a bunch of people, I think over a hundred people to the, to the servers. That's, that's great to see. Thanks a lot, Chris. And, uh, about 25 others of you guys are going to be re- receiving, uh, some prizes, some pop tokens, some EOS and some, uh, party crackers. So check out for your inbox on Discord. Uh, if you were, uh, one of the people that, um, invited, invited users to the Discord server and you'll be getting a message, uh, shortly, uh, to claim your prize so we're up to six thousand two hundred members in the servers that's great to see and we're going to be awarding another set of prizes once we reach seven thousand so we'll be doing this every thousand members up until ten thousand so 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 it's still a good idea to create that custom invite link and share that on social media get your friends in here and earn yourself uh, some rewards for doing so all right here we go. Let's see what's going on in the chat. We got some fire from Yana. Love to see it. Mel sharing some antelope pictures. It's great. Um, okay. Are our special guests with us already? No, uh, Zach and Eve are not with us yet. So we'll keep these topics for a bit later. Um, I see that Chris Barnes is here already. Chris, do you want to come online and talk about, uh, some hackathon updates? Maybe Chris is not here. Maybe I'm muted. Who knows? Um, okay. Well, I'll keep going. Then we'll get back to, uh, we'll get back to Chris in just a bit. Uh, all right. I guess I'll start with the Pomelo, uh, tips on how to write a Pomelo grant. Since most of these other topics I'm hoping we'll have some guest speakers for, uh, I can cover this one myself. So I'm going to share the link here in the medium for our medium blog for Pomelo your guide to a clear and direct pomelo grant shout out to Catherine on the pomelo team for writing such a good document uh i actually learned some things and uh when i was reading it uh, and as someone that's you know written a grant in the past in season three we had our hot sauce grant uh and obviously i'm very involved in pomelo still some good information in there so definitely recommend uh all of you who are considering creating a grant for season four, which applications start in under two weeks. So definitely time to start preparing and thinking about these things. Um, Definitely check out the article. I'm actually going to give a quick overview of what's included in this article because I think it's actually really, really good information that uh, a lot of you should know because I know a lot of you participate in Pomelo. Uh, so the article is kind of divided into eight sections and it's going to give you tips on you know basically all the steps that you need to do to create a great Pomelo grant so first things you want to think about before you write and then of course you're going to write your grant you're going to revise it you're going to edit it you're going to proofread it you're going to format it you're going to translate it and then you're going to publish it now don't worry this may sound like a lot of steps but it's really not you know, some of these steps are fairly quick, but, you know, each of these steps has some things for you guys to consider. Uh, so I'm actually going to quickly read here um, the steps before you write, which is probably applicable to a lot of us out here right now. So, you know, what you want to do, you want to focus on the public good in your project. Make the public good the first and primary thing you talk about. This is essential to your application being approved to participate. If you need help determining what qualifies as a public good... Read our article called What's a Public Good, which I'll share in here. Um, Two, before you write, plan what you want to do and how you will achieve it. So Pomelo sees grants return season after season, building on what they have achieved. Whether you are new or returning grant, consider what you can do before the next Pomelo season. Break large milestones down into smaller manageable points. Three, note the main points you want to cover to organize your thoughts. Remember, first describe the public good, then explain your broader project as an ex- and as, as an example implementation of the public good. This will help structure your application. Plan ahead for multimedia. Create high-resolution image to make your grant stand out. Maybe even make a video. And think about your audience. What's the best approach to present your project to them and try to speak to different levels of technical knowledge? So that's just uh Couple other things, uh, of things of great nuggets of information that you'll find in this article. Um, we haven't actually promoted this on social media yet. We'll be doing that tomorrow. So if you haven't heard of this article yet, uh, you know, don't worry. That's why. But you can also, if you follow us on Medium, get some notifications by email every time a new article uh, is published. And you can also sign up to the Pomelo newsletter if you want, where we send out you know regular updates about a variety of topics. Uh, throughout the uh, pomelo season and pomelo off season too. All right, so um, I see that Zach Gall has joined us. Um, I see that glue Dog is not happy with our pop bot that isn't working for him. Um, if you guys do have some issues just leave a message in that pop bot chat and we'll make sure that everyone you know who wants to get a pop token will get one. No no worries there. All right. Welcome, uh, Zach, to the show. Thanks for joining us. Um, do you know if Eve is going to be joining us soon or not? Do we wait for him for the Busan topic or do we just get into it ourselves?
1: I mean, we just wrapped up a team call, so everyone should be
0: piling in here in a minute. All right. So let's wait for Eve to
2: join the pile. Um, <clears throat> hey, guys. Martin here. Hey, Martin. I have one question. Yeah, you just introduced like the Pomelo how to write a successful grant awesomely. Um, and you, point, you touched upon one point, which was the translation aspect. I'm not sure if we, for this season, have a team that, that volunteers to, to do translation for the grant. Um I'm not sure if people from the uh, your support team are here. And uh if we can discuss maybe having setting something up for helping people out to get all the tra- all the grants translated into multiple languages. That's kind of an open call for people on this call to see if they're volunteers. Yeah, great
0: idea. Um so the translations, translations are definitely an important part of All of the communications that the ENF does, uh, you know, they want to make sure that the English, Chinese and Korean communities are all equally served. In Pomelo, there is an option to translate your grants. It's not required. However, if you want to, you know, put all the chances on your side to get as many donations from the community as possible, translating your grants is a very good idea. At the very minimum, run it through Google Translate and you'll get, you know, a translation that you can put up, but uh, like Martin is saying here, um, maybe there's an opportunity for a group to offer uh, some yeah. yeah, some translation services for all the Pomelo grants that are going to be uh, coming online in the next few weeks. Drew Block here coming in in the comments saying that the EOSBs did his translation last time, so that's cool. Something to consider for all of the grant owners out there.
2: Yeah, maybe we can, we can coordinate this uh, in the next two weeks in the Pomelo Telegram chat. Uh, if, they're, if they're volunteers or, you know, if the bees are running again, then we can make this public. Uh, if your support is ready to do this as well, you know, let's, let's organize this and, and find a pipeline to get as many grants like translated as possible. I think or maybe, it's also,
0: it's a, a, maybe a team uh, submits a Pomelo grant to do Pomelo translations for future grants. Um, maybe that could be a thing too. Who knows?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So Andrew here, uh, sharing some, some details of the EOSB's translation service, uh, saying it was about $40 for about 1500 words. Um, so there you go. Some information for all of you to consider.
2: It definitely comes in handy when you want to do, uh, uh, one of the Pomelo pitch sessions in the Korean or Chinese community, if they can like pre-read your grant, and then you can do a quick ch- chat and a quick introduction, and they already can ask you some questions. So to get the conversation going around your grant, that's really helpful to have it translated properly.
0: For sure. So that brings us to uh, us to our next Pomelo topic that we'll be talking about probably next week is how to promote your grant, right? So now we're talking how to create your grant, but there's also how to promote your grant. A lot of that is going on to the pitch sessions that are organized in the English, Chinese, and Korean communities. And in order to get in on those pitch sessions, you need to have an approved grant. Um, But we'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks. Um, As a reminder, applications open on November uh, 14th and donations open on November 23rd. So those, uh, those timelines are coming up on us very quickly. So hopefully you guys are already thinking about your, uh, your grants for this season. All right. I see that Eve has joined us on the fireside. Welcome to the fireside, Eve. Do you want to jump on the mic here and talk a bit about your recent trip to Korea? I'm sure a lot of us uh, would love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. Thank you. Uh,
3: Thank you for having me. Sorry for being late. Um, I, uh, yeah, I came, I, it was a very quick in and out of uh, Korea. Uh, Unfortunately, everything was under embargo for obvious reasons. And so we weren't able to mention uh, that uh, previously, but it all happened very quickly. Uh, Basically, the MOU that we signed with the city of Pusan last week, uh stemmed out of the the work that we did in the in the uh the discussions and the networking that we had when I first went to South Korea um before going to Singapore uh Token 2049 so mid uh mid September um the the I mean this we we've said this before South Korea is an incredibly important player within EOS so in terms of of tokens uh, approximately 25 to 30% or so of eos tokens are located uh in south korea to the you know to our best estimate and um in terms of developers south korea is an incredibly important player in terms of pioneering within the space and ad- ad- adoptability of uh not just a blockchain but even of web 2 mobile gaming um e- etc internet penetration e- etc korea is a very very important player and it's, it's somewhat of an enclosed ecosystem as well. So on the VC front, on the exchange front, on the developer front, um, it, it is very much a, a, I guess what I say, what I call a kind of a full stack end to end, um, environment there, ecosystem there. And so we, we definitely recognize that South Korea is an important player and we wanted to, um, to, to make that known for one and to, and to showcase why that is important for us. So when Zach and I started DNF, one of the things that we made uh, as a goal early at the onset, basically from day one, is that anything that we did, we always translated in Korean, for example, uh, because historically any kind of formal information that was coming uh, from EOS was always being translated and or output to the Korean community and the Chinese community after the fact. Uh, so maybe a week later, two weeks later, and not all of it either. And so it was really left to people to actually do this. It wasn't really formal in that sense. And early on, we, we, we made it a priority because we recognized that particular market and that particular community as being very, very important. Um, and so continuing in that trend of, of wanting to recognize that. And because there's tremendous value in South Korea on multiple fronts. Um, you know, heading back to South Korea right before going to Singapore was some, an opportunity that presented itself. COVID restrictions. Uh, being diminished. um, And even since then, so when I first went to South Korea a a month and a half ago, there was still the requirement of doing a PCR test within 24 hours after landing. Uh, That since, since October 1st has uh, been removed. So right, the the regulatory environment, and then even just the logistics of travels environment has changed considerably for everybody all around the world in the last three years or so. And so one of the first places we wanted to go to uh, was South Korea. So when I went there, obviously met with uh, amazing people working within the space uh basically eval- evangelizing and advocating for for EOS uh, which had not been done formally in the country in 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 multiple years for multiple reasons one of them being covid but also because there was no entity being capable of of doing that at the level that that the ENF is capable of doing so and so we did that we met some amazing people we met a lot of developers we met exchanges we met stakeholders uh, token holders um, and city officials, we, made, we, we met government officials uh, because uh, within South Korea, uh, the regulatory landscape is, uh, I would say somewhat favorable towards crypto. So currently, uh, and I don't know the extent of this or, or so pardon my my terms, but uh, for example, uh, any crypto earnings um, from a capital gains perspective up until the end of 2025 are not taxed in South Korea right now. I believe that both... Uh, presidential candidates uh, ended up running on this platform. And so the one that one that is currently in in power um, enacted that. And so, you know, as a whole, crypto is somewhat favorable or well seen within South Korea. And so we wanted to make sure that we align with that as well, and that we can get government officials to see that the power, the benefit of EOS um, of the technology that we're we're powering uh, with Antelope, you know, the, the code that we're maintaining and that we're growing um, and that we're essentially open for business and that we want to be there in that market very early on in a very formal, very public uh manner. And so this MOU opportunity presented itself. Um, if you look at the others within that MOU, and I'll explain as well what an MOU is because I've I've received a lot of questions about that. But if you look at the MOU and the other participants in the alliance, so the VCABB, um, they're all exchanges except CoinS, so CoinS is a media. Uh, partner, uh, within that, w- within South Korea. But if you look at the, the four others, they're either exchanges or they're VC funds. And if you look at uh, those who have signed MOUs with the city of Busan prior to this, it was Binance, FTX, Wobie. So it's all exchanges. So yes, they have their own exchange token, but they're not layer ones. They're not blockchain, so to speak. And EOS is the first one. EOS is the only one. And this alliance right now essentially was put into place by the city to be able to act, uh, kind of one as a as a filter, so that uh, in the future, if others want to partner with the city, they'll essentially have to go through the VCABB, the current alliance, and we're one of the original founding members. Uh, and so we need to kind of vouch for somebody else to come in. Um, the idea is, if if you look at and I believe that the MOU is published, um, and if not, then I'm believe it can be because I believe it is public. But basically um, what an MOU is is just a memorandum of understanding. These are quite standard and quite formal for government uh, to do within with industry. So it's very difficult for government to actually make formal agreements with industry unless there are formal contracts because they're hiring you to do something. But outside of that, an MOU is is a very effective way of doing this and it's very formal. It's very real. It, It it means quite a lot. And uh, it basically signals intent. And in this case, the, the intent that is being signaled by this MOU is that the city of Pusan um, has entered into an MOU, which is a, is a non-binding uh, agreement, uh, so MOUs are non-enforceable, but it's it's a signal of intent that basically these entities uh, have capital and they've got uh, capital to deploy and they're looking to deploy capital, which which we've been doing with the ENF over the last year or so. And that uh, in particular, if the city of Pusan can do its part of the MOU, which is essentially attracting businesses and individuals, developers, etc., to relocate and to set up shop in the city, and they'll be doing so... Uh, by using multiple mechanisms like favorable uh, tax breaks, office space, subsidies for employees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If it can do its part of the job, then when the ENF and when the EOS ecosystem is looking at where it can deploy some of its capital, that if Um, a particular applicant and or a particular entity or business or whatever it may be checks off the hey this makes business sense it aligns with our goals it aligns with our strategy they are technically proficient etc 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 well if they're located in pusan that's one extra check mark that's one extra point for them let's say and so we've committed that um that you know we will we will look into south korea as a whole which we believe Uh, is a key player within the blockchain space and within that particular blockchain space uh, in that particular country, sorry, then Pusan is trying to uh, reinvigorate its own economy and it's trying to position itself as a hub within that country. The majority of the capital, the majority of the businesses are located in Seoul. In terms of population, Seoul is roughly 20, 22 million uh, people, whereas Pusan, I believe, is 3 to 4 million, something like that. So it's much smaller. It's a port city. Uh, it's trying to attract the younger generation to come set up shop there. It's trying to attract favorable conditions so that, um, from a from a regulatory perspective as well, so that businesses set up there and that they're signaling internally, hey, if you guys come and do this, we've partnered up and we've we've signed a, an MOU with people within the industry uh, at various levels that they will look at this particular jurisdiction as one of the more favorable ones. And so this also comes into play in terms of uh, regulatory arbitrage. So I did an interview with Bloomberg uh, before leaving, um, and one of the questions that, that I was asked was about this concept of regulatory arbitrage. We're starting to see more and more around the world different jurisdictions position themselves against others as a favorable location to be able to set up shop, whether it be to deploy tokens or to be able to attract capital, to be able to set up businesses and, and work on things within the blockchain industry, whatever it may be within that that paradigm of where they fit um, in the ecosystem. More and more jurisdictions are trying to be. Um, havens for one, but I guess a, a hub for blockchain. We know that Dubai has been trying to do this for, for a while. We know that by default, a lot of the Caribbean islands, like Cayman, BVI, uh, et cetera, they've by default done that because they were traditional tax havens and so people just set up there because that was kind of low risk. But it's not necessarily because they set themselves up as blockchain hubs. It's because there was no other alternative. But now we're seeing more and more jurisdictions within known locations, what I wouldn't call, let's say, the, the the tax havens, so to speak, that are trying to position themselves as hubs for blockchain. And Pusan definitely is trying to do that. And for us, uh Pusan and then South Korea and then EOS, everything just aligned very, very well. It's a very symbolic MOU, or I guess a very symbolic gesture as well. Um, in terms of kind of next steps, uh, people ask, well, what happens next? Uh, well, this right now is just the beginning of something. When we look at other ecosystems, they've had partnerships, tremendous partnerships throughout. You look at Polygon, they have hundreds of partnerships like this. EOS has never had anything like this. This is really just the sign of things to come. It's, it's a reversal of. What we've seen, you know, this, this dry spout in the last couple of years. It's an, another opportunity that is being presented. It's another door that is being opened, a very formal door, uh, with government. Um, it's a very formal door as well with the other partners within this MOU. Uh, so if you look at the, the others that I mentioned, uh, VCs, for example, uh, you've got Alphanounce, which is quite big in South Korea, and they've got roughly a, a hundred million dollar fund. If you look at Foresight Ventures, four hundred million dollar fund, very big, very known as well. Um, I've mentioned uh, here previously as well that the ENV, the concept of EOS Network Ventures, is you know is moving along very well. One of the things that uh, we've been trying to focus on is uh, right now, kind of create that fourth pillar, which would be more of the VC side of things, and we're looking at um, other VCs for, to get them to invest capital in EOS and the EOS ecosystem. And so, you know, this, this MOU and these, these new partners that we met, obviously you can open more doors as well uh, without going into, into too much detail there, but it's just the continuation of, of what we've been doing, but in a very tangible way, the very symbolic way in a market that we respect and that we value tremendously. Um, and this is just the beginning of something. Uh, but it, even in and it by itself, currently, um, it is is quite valuable. So that's why I went to South Korea last week.
0: Great stuff, Eve. Great stuff. Great work. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing, uh, sharing some updates and your perspective on all of that. Um, we got some comments, of course. I shared some uh, pictures. Some great pictures of Eve out there signing the MOU. Uh, Eve mentioned the VCABB a few times. That stands for Venture Capital Alliance of Busan Blockchain. Apparently, I was not pronouncing that city name right. I'm not surprised. Uh, Jack Bytes in uh Jack Bites saying here that you know it's a great idea that South Korea is hosting the crypto space in the free zone area where all the biz are in a neutral space. The, this MOU is very significant. Jack Bytes, very excited about that. Yeah,
3: so it's a uh... So so Pusan is a, basically an SEZ, so it's a special economic zone. Um, so if you look at, for example, how uh, China started working with the West in the 70s and such, um, and then further on the 80s and the 90s, uh, one of the the special economic zones that people know of are, for example, Shenzhen, Shanghai. Um, and so those are areas where, from a regulatory perspective, they're different than the rest of the comp- country. And Pusan is different than the rest of the country when it comes to blockchain. Uh, and there's two areas within uh, South Korea that are trying to position themselves as hub. One of them being Pusan, the other one being uh, Jeju Island. Uh, but Jeju Island is a resort island. Uh, it's an island in uh, in the Pacific. And so infrastructure wise, it's always tricky. Whenever there are storms, you know, the internet can go down, infrastructure starts failing and such. And so it, my I guess the, the, our, our idea is that the likelihood is that Pusan will win that race uh, if there is indeed an actual race.
0: Great stuff, great stuff. Um, anyone else here from the, in the chat or want to jump in on the voice chat, share some thoughts, comments, questions? I'll give a bit of time for you guys to do so. Alright, moving on to our next big topic of the day. The new ENF CTO. Uh, Bart is back. Very big news. I saw a lot of people were very excited about this news on social media. Uh, I think Bart is uh with us today. Um uh, so I'd uh, yeah, I'd love to uh invite Bart to the stage maybe share a bit about uh, your background for those who don't know. And uh, yeah, talk to us a bit about what you're doing here uh, with the ENF. I see you've unmuted, but we can't hear you just yet. Usually people, first time on Discord, they do need to uh, mess around with their mic settings. So if you right-click the mic icon at the bottom left of the Discord, You'll probably be able to choose uh, the correct mic for us to hear you.
3: What's that noise?
4: TikTok? How tick-tock? about now? There we go. Oh, you
1: hear him. lives. All right.
4: It happened to be the push to talk versus voice activity. Okay. All right. All right. There All right. You go. Thanks for the stage. Um, yeah, so a lot of you have probably already met me in one form or fashion uh, over the years. I've actually I've been in this community a little bit underground for the past year or so, uh, but since the beginning, um, I'm really really happy to be back. I think uh, some of the work that's happened in the community, uh, especially with the ENF, uh, has been truly amazing. Um, it's why I started coming on to to be a grant evaluator for a little while, uh, and then why ultimately Eve won me over, and uh, I decided to come on full time to see what kind of uh you know impact I could have both in the community and then also you know inside the ENF. So uh to make a long story short, uh, I've been in the broader crypto space uh for a long time since before well before Ethereum, um you know some of my earliest contributions were to the the Bitcoin core code base uh or a fork of it actually when we were trying to build uh you know, layer two protocols on top of Bitcoin. Uh, there's one in particular called Omni protocol that I was a part of, uh, that eventually led into a somewhat notorious project that you might know by the name of feather. Um, and so, you know, since then I've been in and out of different startups in the space, focus a lot on decentralized identity, census mechanisms, uh, found my way to, uh, the EOS community during the, during the token sale, the original token sale. And, uh, Helped uh, build out that kind of initial launch to the protocol with a lot of the core engineers that we have back on staff here at Enf that I'm now rejoining and and saying hello to again. Um, yeah, so it's been a it's been a long strange journey. Um, I still think like yeah you know, the technology that we built here is is amazing. Um, the community is perhaps uh, the real the real gem though. Uh, if I'm being completely honest, uh, at this point you know a lot of people have seen the technology and adopted it into their own blockchain networks around the planet but the one thing that they can't really take um is the community you know and so that community is our is our special weapon at this at this point so i'd like to hear um from everyone in the community i hope at this point you look at the enf and you say you know they have you know they've come through and been like a reliable partner uh from like the product and the engineering side and the protocol side uh if you have any doubts or any concerns please reach out uh you know I'm I'm new to the ENF, but I'm I'm here to kind of push it forward and hearing from from everyone here um as to what we've done right and maybe what we've you know, lacked on uh would be great. Um I think I think that that transparency, that communication, that conversation is something that um, I'm super happy to be a part of uh this time around. Um if you know what I mean. So <laughs> before I say anything else uh more scandalous, I'll go ahead and stop there and Kind of open it up for uh, questions, I guess.
2: Hey, Bart. It's Martin. Hey, super great to have you back. I'm super excited about, um, you know, what you bring bringing to the EOS ecosystem, what you bring as the CTO of the ENF. Uh, one thing that you haven't mentioned yet and that I'm personally super excited about that you have been working with NFT42 for a while, who've brought NFTs on chain, images on chain. Um, they've been like really awesome, like uh, innovative in the, in the NFT space, bringing I think projects like Avastar, super early stuff um, to the block space. So yeah, super happy to have you back. Uh, looking forward to to get more NFT stuff on EOS uh, yeah. and innovate in that space. It's awesome.
4: Yeah, thanks, thanks so much for the uh, for the shout out. Yeah, I I'm coming from NFT 42. I was the CTO there for about a year and a half, um, and yeah we were we were kind of influential in pushing uh on-chain nfts in the in the ethereum community actually um which you know coming back to here uh gave me some good perspective about how things are done and, you know in the in the other community and and what that ecosystem looks like and where we could um you know come up to speed with some of the things that they have an advantage on us and and then maybe also exceed them in other places but the whole concept of like pulling more stuff on chain uh is something that I really believe in for both you know EOS and the broader blockchain ecosystem i will say it is a a titanic fight uh in the ethereum ecosystem to get things on chain and i think that's a uh a situation where the the core technology of EOS has a staggering advantage um so particularly when it comes to nfts as we as we move forward in that space uh and as you know broader trends like gamefi really come align. i think Positioning ourselves to be, uh, you know, a much better place to have a, like a true on-chain NFT-based experience is is going to be something that's that comes easy to us, uh, much easier than, you know, the uphill fight that we had at NFT42 um, on Ethereum. I'm still still involved in them, still in the NFT space. Uh, you'll notice my avatars and NFT uh, from a project, so you'll probably see some some cross-posting in my various socials uh, as those projects still still bloom. Uh, but yeah, definitely looking forward to to, uh, to what that could be as as part of you know the broader uh, EOS success story.
0: What do you guys mean when you say on-chain NFTs? Are
4: yeah, so NFTs on-chain. Well, also, okay, it. so specifically, um, you know the 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 least amount of on-chain stuff you can put and still be an NFT without people really getting that at you is basically just who owns it. You know. Who owns this NFT? Where that? Where does the ownership lie? Some people then also put the metadata, like the actual description of you know what are the characteristics of that token, on chain. Meaning it literally doesn't go off of the blockchain to a different service, even if that different service is decentralized. Uh, to fetch the the metadata, you've already lost probably like 60 to 75 percent of NFT projects when you say that. Most of them just have a link to a file hosted somewhere on. Amazon, or best case scenario, over IPFS. Then there's the the top top percentage, which is what we were doing with Avastars and uh, other NFT projects, where even the art content is on chain. So literally, we would figure out ways to compress, you know, giant SVGs and, and GIFs and JPEGs and all sorts of stuff onto chain, so that when you query it uh, from the blockchain, all of the data, you know, several hundred kilobytes, sometimes megabytes of data would come from the chain directly no middleman no external party no third party and that means that like you know no matter what happens in the wide wide world as long as you have that nft like you can you can have the entire nft um you know there's degrees of safety there where like uh every little piece that gets off chain is technically like a dependency that they have on that nft for something else to survive and so some of it is uh kind of like a brand of luxury in the nft world to have like a truly on-chain nft some of it for technical reasons you know then you could have the artwork governed by a smart contract you know it can evolve over time uh in a very very uh you know trustless way and so they can be really cool um but that's what that's what we mean when we say on-chain NFT. it's like a it's like not just an nft it's even a higher a higher tier of subscription to this idea that the blockchain should should be the source of truth.
0: Very cool, very cool. Thanks for answering.
5: And, and, uh, to, um, and to add to that, uh, EOS is extremely spoiled slash wax because 100%, most of all the NFTs that are minted are all 100% on chain. Attributes are on chain, descriptions on chain, everything's on chain. So we, by default, EOS and wax and all the other atomic assets um, are by default, 100% on chain other than if you're trying to add some more mechanics and stuff like that, but in EOS so The exp-
0: images are on IPFS, they're not on EOS or WAX.
5: Yeah, but that nobody puts... <clears throat> so when even the Ethereum...
0: That's, that's what they do, yeah. They're putting the oh, image yeah. on the same chain where the NFT resides. That's yeah. the ultimate level, basically.
5: Well, that's, yeah,
0: that, that's like a little bit too much. It's too intense.
5: No, it's it is, not it too pretty- much. It's not too much. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to put an actual like a a picture or like a video, then you're you're just limiting to yourself to a certain specific design of fully on chain. Like you can't put an MP4 video in JavaScript, you know, coded. But anyways, that that doesn't matter. But um, the attributes is the big thing, right? So a lot of it too is a lot of the the, the NFTs are like an external web server that's just an endpoint. And if that server goes down, then essentially all the images essentially go down because it pulls from that specific metadata from that endpoint that might be up or down. So we're just extremely spoiled, I think, in on EOS. Uh, we have a lot of things on chain, and uh, it's extremely difficult on Ethereum to to pull off what EOS is doing and Wax is doing, um, just because they just cost more gas to to store more data.
4: Yeah, and I think especially like at that base level. Uh, EOS has always run ahead as far as resource uh, capacity and availability, so we'll see that we'll see that become a multiplier effect um, as we get further into some of these some of these markets, like you know the atomic asset standard and stuff like that. It is it is funny how much uh, you know going from this community and doing kind of a sabbatical in the Ethereum community, uh, realizing how much this community takes for granted as far as some of the capabilities we have because we've had them for four or five years now um and you know ethereum has still got it on a roadmap somewhere uh for the future so i think it's i think it's great that we have that i think part of our challenge as a community um and as the enf will be uh shining a light on some of those advantages to the developers who for whatever reason aren't aware of them um and so that will that will mean we'll have to kind of like you know take fresh eyes to it and and see it for what it is, which is like you know this is still a huge advantage we have, even though to us it's like ah eh, you know that was news from four or five years ago. <laughs> exactly.
5: But what the, what the uh, the Ethereum community what they do have is the broader uh, market support. So, an example, Twitter adopting the Ethereum sort of ERC twenty um, assets, then you can show your Ethereum proved asset. Um, on your Twitter profile, that's huge. Um, so there's a lot of features like that that the community and the greater global markets have adopted. Um, so uh, that's that's the big step up on a lot of these other uh, communities. OpenSea being supported. So there's a lot of support on the Ethereum-based uh, NFT assets that EOS is lacking in
0: WAX. Um, yeah. So another question here coming in from the chat from Jack Bytes uh, asking Bart um, asking your thoughts Bart on the Trust EVM. Uh, what do you know about it, or uh, do you know what, how involved are you with that? And, and what are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm coming up to speed on a Trust EVM rapidly. I would say, um, obviously it's a it's a big deal. I was. Ooh. You know, before I before I took my sabbatical into the other ecosystem, I was championing um, you know our, our original uh, bounty program to get something of an EVM implementation out there uh, that was you know community owned and implemented. And so, I've always been an advocate of of building bridges and extending all of ranges. I think for all of its warts and, and inconveniences, the EVM does have. Market share, and it is something where there is an entire community uh, supporting the onboarding of new developers into that ecosystem. So, for a lot of reasons, um, I think there's a lot of advantages to us to to build that bridge at like a, a developer community level um, to allow that expertise to at least be somewhat valuable in our ecosystem, uh, even if it can't access the full, you know, features and full capacity of of what we have um as a as a as a kind of a gateway uh a trojan horse sometimes it's called or whatever you know as a, as a ability to just get that human capital those creative people introduced us um i think it's i think it's invaluable um you know long term i think that uh the use cases will demand people escape that that uh that kind of walled garden and get into the broader EOS ecosystem um but you know we have to we have to we have to make that uh learning curve we have to make that adoption curve uh as easy and gentle as possible um if we want to have that that kind of human capital that is currently defaulting to ethereum just because you know that's what comes up in a google search um try try to like land here instead so um yeah, I think it's I think it's a great initiative. Um I do think we we need to heavily focus on, you know, making it that bridge for developers, uh, which means that, you know, we have to do a lot of things in terms of compatibility at tools and RPC levels. And that's a that's a complex problem, you know. We're starting behind uh on that one because the Ethereum community has been building those tools uh and and thus the Dependency on that API for a long time now, and we're trying to catch up, but we're making progress rapidly. So I think uh, you know, it won't be too long before this is another feather in our cap, and and in uh, a good way for us to, like I said, extend that extend that bridge to the broader ecosystem of blockchain developers in general, um, and maybe maybe win some win some uh, people to our side.
0: Yeah, we'll be going over some uh, Trust EVM hackathon finalists here in, in just a bit, showcasing some of the projects that are planning on deploying on, on Trust EVM. That's very exciting. Um, John Paul here asked, besides NFTs, what else you know excites you the most in the blockchain space right now?
4: Um. Yeah, so this is this is more of a personal statement, not necessarily reflective of the ENF. Although I think you'll find that you know we 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 all represent ourselves in the ENF, so eventually it will come out. I I am completely fascinated with uh, blockchain communities as a as a kind of uh, decentralized replacement for the the app development ecosystem that exists in in what we would call the traditional development world. Uh, and by that I mean you know. If, if I were as an entrepreneur today going to launch some sort of, you know, web 2.0 app, whatever we want to call it um, the amount of supporting apps and functions and the ability for me to sit at a very high level in that product uh, and yet still stitch together a working prototype, maybe get some funding is it's just extraordinary. It's it, it has been a boon to the, to the broader technology industry. And uh, when I look at a community like this, you know, Part of what the ENF is doing is is actually building software, but a lot of what the ENF is doing is is facilitating the grant programs and trying to coordinate these things and get the community to take up the the fulfillment on some of these some of these pieces, whatever they may be. So, um, I think as as a shared good, as a common good, the idea that all these these pieces of infrastructure, these glue pieces in between. The important parts of a of a, an application or a product you' developing um, can be developed by a community and and done not necessarily for profit I think that's a that's like a fundamentally different way of viewing the economics uh, of like app development from what you know the rest of the world and it should be it should be something that is like kind of got a network effect on its side and because we are doing that more in like the style of open source where we collaborate and cooperate on the common pieces. They're both, you know, uh, better for it because they've got much better reviews. Uh, you know, much more eyes on it, much more talent in it. But also, you know, those aren't those aren't uh, rent-seeking entities trying to make your operations more expensive once your app does succeed. So, reimagine uh, a blockchain community as as like a an alternative to like a centralized cloud provider in like the app development ecosystem, I think is the thing that fascinates me the most. I know it's like a very abstract, heady topic, but uh, it plays into my philosophy that like really what we can do as the community at EF is build common infrastructure and cooperate at that level. You know, there there would eventually in all like, you know, kind of economic aspects, there will be some competition, but, you know, for the most part, there should be a lot of cooperation, like eighty percent cooperation, and then we can leave the competition for the twenty percent at the top that really kind of like makes uh, super compelling applications or uh, really pushes the future forward of, of blockchain. You know, meanwhile, that eighty percent is is shared. It's a uh, it's uh, something we cooperate on and something we build together. And I think the community, the platform, and eventually the applications that built upon it would all benefit from a from a, a model like that. Yeah, he's talking about Famello. I see in the chat. Yeah, it's all it's all circling around the same concepts.
6: Great
0: answer. Thank you. Um, any other questions for Bart while we have him uh, online? Uh, or actually, I've got a question for you, Bart. How often are you going to be joining these fireside chats with us?
4: Um, I don't know. I do have some some family travel uh, coming up, so it might be a little scarce for the next little while, but I hope to be a pretty active member of the community, so I think I'll probably be back quite often. All
0: right, great. That sounds, sounds good to me. All right, last call for, uh, for questions for Bart. I'm going to give it a, another few seconds. All right, uh, John Paul coming in here with another comment. Uh, he appreciates the insight. So he's talking about your answer about uh, kind of your philosophy, what you're most excited about. So as a service-based features class modules that entrepreneurs can use or collaborate on. So I think, yes, that's pretty much what Bart was talking about. And that's what we're all about at Pomelo as well, promoting development of these open source uh, modules. So that makes sense to me.
4: I, th- I just want to make one comment. I, I feel like the uh, framing it as, as a service uh, based features like that. I, I think part of the, part of the fascinating thing for me is that we are so steeped in things being offered business to business as a service that we can't really even escape that as the base analogy. So I do feel like that brings up uh, a monetization scheme and all sorts of things with it that I'm not necessarily implying. So those provide a certain level of value to an app development ecosystem and a a community. The value is what I'm really interested in. I think we'll find that uh, when we are no longer, you know, a centralized for-profit entity, the flexibility we have on the economics of it and, you know, the ability to model that as a service or as something the world's never seen before really opens up. And that's why it's fascinating because I, I think it's, paradigm breaking enough to where at best we can just draw analogies to what we see in the real world right now um but that the final form of this down the road will be something the world's never seen um and that's kind of you know again that's that's the the light at the end of the tunnel that truly fascinates me is getting to the point where we're we're actually creating something organizationally um and community wise that is unlike the alternative you would have otherwise
0: Great, thank you. And thank you, John Paul, uh, for the great uh, questions and comments. All right, we're going to move on to the Trust EVM GameFi Hackathon Twitter Spaces event that happened this morning. Let me share uh, the link here in the chat. I have not had a chance to listen to it yet. Uh, If someone here has had a chance to listen to it and want to share their impressions, i would love to hear them Um, but outside of that i'm also going to share a tweet for each of the finalists here so if you guys want to learn more about these finalists you can uh, follow those links was someone about to speak heard some something on the mic here all right well feel free to jump in here if uh, anyone has some thoughts they want to share on the trust evm GameFi Hackathon and uh, just give me a few seconds here while I share the relevant links. we go. So very exciting to see uh, so many cool-looking applications, diverse applications uh, in the GameFi space, of course, that are, are going to be uh, launching on the Trust EVM. Uh, next up, uh, maybe we can talk about the EVM Ideathon that has submissions have closed just a few days ago. Uh, Chris Barnes, welcome to the stage.
7: Hello, Steph. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Um, So, yes, we are in the thick of judging now. So uh, we've received really a flood. So this is certainly... The the idea that procrastinators do make up the vast majority of the population would seem to fit (laughs) with our experience of the amount of last minute uh, submissions that came in. It it was almost like five a minute. We're just piling in as we're starting to filter. And it's really not recommended because if there's any issues with the submission, We were trying, we were trying as quick as we could in real time. There was a few of us doing it, um, like just looking at the submission as soon as it came in, ensuring it had everything covered, which like the video worked and there was the upload was there for the pitch deck or similar. Um, And so we could let people know, hey, like you're missing something, fix it. Because once the deadline ended, uh, it it literally, you know, the term deadline, it's, you know, if you think about the etymology of that word, uh, we really treated it as such. So Um, There was some discussion um, from a few who said that they missed it and there were issues and, you know, could they maybe pretty please sneak their submission in and, um, and no, right. Like that, it's a deadline. That's how it works. Uh, at the end of that line, if you cross it, you're dead like this. So, uh, and really it's because it's, it's unfair to everyone else who did work extra hard to get their stuff in on time and, and didn't leave it to the last minute. It's, it's kind of a disservice and it's disrespectful to those folks to then allow other people to make changes and to submit things late and oh, my computer. And, whatever, like, you you know, this is wasn't like a this date snuck up, we were trying to really let people know as soon as it started when it was going to end. So I apologize for those who missed it. We did have 178 submission project submissions in the end. And when we look at the other comparable hackathons on DevPost, that is a really, that's a, that's a lot of submissions for the amount of prizes. So some of them you'll see with a million dollars in prizes or more. And then correspondingly, you get a 1000 Entrance and a few hundred projects submitted. We had uh, 659, I think was the total number of individual humans who like signed up basically. And then from there, we had uh, almost 180 projects submitted unique projects. So that's pretty awesome for 125k in prizes. Um And so thank you to everyone who's listening, who took the time to do it. Um, I appreciate your effort. And we are taking, we're being very diligent going through the submissions now and the way it's going to work here. So we are internally judging for the, So I'll break it into two sections for the Trust EVM section. We've got Zach and Matthias are the judges and they are judging the projects that came in specifically for that. And they will basically we will announce the winners. So there'll be that will be fully announced. There'll be no surprises that will come on November 14th. And uh, so that will be announced on or about November 9th, I believe. So we'll just have to work through getting those judged. And then uh, there's an internal sort of review. And, and then DevPost does a bit of a KYC um, confirmation with folks. And then uh, things are announced. So so that's en route. That'll happen. And then for the other, um, the vast majority of the projects were for the Idea-thon, which uh, had the categories DeFi, Gov3, Web3, Social, Good, and... I repeat them out of order, and then I don't get them right. I know you hate it when you do that. There was one more in there. I've forgotten it now. That's what I get for talking live Anyway, there are five categories. DeFi. 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 Did I miss Defi? Yeah, Defi. Gamefi. Sure I said yeah. Defi. Gamefi. Yeah, yeah, that's the Game trusted DM one. But and we had it in the ideathon. That was the trick, which was actually interesting. This is an interesting note for the in the ideathon. We had Gamefi submissions that really should have been. Probably like they had code. Like so they but but what happened was is the actual the top prize is slightly bigger for the idea thon. So it's six thousand for first versus the trust EVM GameFi track has a five thousand dollar first prize. And I think a few few people just follow the money and they're like, oh, there's more cash available in the idea thon. So even though we've coded something and we could deploy it to the test net, they ended up uh so that was a little interesting bit of a social dynamic we saw, I think, play out. And we even, we even like messaged a few projects like, Hey, are you sure you want the ideathon? you actually, looks like you could submit to the, <laughs> the actual trust EVM track, but, uh, anyway, it is what it is. So yes, so that's, what's happening. We're doing an internal judge now on the ideathon of the five categories. We will narrow it down to the top six for each category. Six through fourth are all getting $1,000 in EOS. And, but they will basically, so we'll announce, um, a bunch of these, uh, to these teams, around November 9th as well. But what will happen is the top three from each of the five categories, so there will be 15 projects, are going to be invited to pitch live. So even though they've submitted a video recording of their pitch and whatever, we're going to kind of up the ante a bit and add a little pressure to have these individuals pitch live on November 14th, beginning at 1400 UTC. So mark it on your calendars. It's uh, I think it's going to be really fun. Like The idea is to have this really be sort of an engaging community um participating we can take some questions from the like you know in, in, incorporate folks from the actually the audience and what they have to say and it be like a live event like we've done with all of the live workshops that have taken place over the past few weeks which are all viewable on the Helios EOS channel and uh yeah so November 14th 15 projects will submit live we'll also have the top 3 trust EVM game projects demo their project so this will be a really couple hour Adventure, and then for that we have live judges to really show us their their best. Kevin O'Leary, Mister Wonderful Impression. Um, so we've got uh, we've got Eve, Zach, Nathan, James from all from the ENF, of course. Then we've got Ben Sigmund from the Helios and Libra Chain, and Darren Swords from UX Network and Origin. So those are our five live judges who will uh, entertain us surely as we uh, listen to the different demos that uh, and and pitches that take place on that day. So that is kind of where we're at. So definitely just a big thanks to everyone who took the time to participate.
3: Uh, and a big thanks to you, Chris, uh, for having led this over the last couple of months. Thank you very much.
7: No problem. It's actually been pretty fun, I will admit. Uh, it's it's been a good time doing all these live events and uh and getting the, the feedback it's been cool so I appreciate the opportunity and maybe we'll uh, we'll do it again the good thing is like this kind of creates a template part of what we were doing as we did this uh, from the Helio side was to create a bit of a how to and we'll we'll share that certainly with ENF and others to uh if you want to run your own event here's some kind of here's a framework here's something you can you can follow and uh, hopefully it uh, facilitates more events just like this which just keeps the community engaged
1: nice I mean, I know it's not done yet, but was the hackathon execution and planning harder, easier about or about what you expected as far as uh, difficulty?
7: Um, I would say easier. To be honest, I expected more needing to help people with issues and submission stuff during it. It was a bit of work just at the beginning. Like you you guys know, right? we had a lot of conversation about just uh, categories and, and definitions and how we want to really roll this out and prizes and just working through all that. That took a bit of time really. And then uh, populating the DevPost website with all the fields and, and getting that filled out. Uh, we did use DevPost. Uh, certainly there people helped us with that, which was really helpful. Um, and then it just kind of... Just keeping these uh, live uh, events rolling every uh, every week that wasn't much of a hardship, and now it's a bit of a crunch because we've got a few hundred projects to review. So each one takes roughly ten minutes or more. Some of them we do a little bit of digging. This is the other thing I'll mention. Actually, it's a bit off topic, but um, one of the criteria was that the project that you submitted was new, and it had to sort of become uh, it had it it couldn't have existed prior to the start of our event, which is tricky, right? Like a lot of projects already existed. And I don't know, it's hard to like say, no, you can't, sorry, you can't participate. So we try to encourage existing projects to make like a a change. Like what would you change about your project and make that part of your idea to submit? Um, And a lot of people got that message and a lot of projects didn't. So a lot of what we're doing is actually researching wedger whether you know did you really do this project have you ripped this off from somewhere else because there is some of that going on certainly there's people who seem like they're professional hackathon submitters and all they do is they take projects and rinse and repeat them and then i think they delete them from previous hackathons they submitted because you can go into DevPost and you could click on someone's name and it'll show you how many hackathons they've entered and you go on their gallery to see how many projects and some of them show like none it's like, why well, you've entered 10 hackathons. How come you can't see in your projects? It's because you probably delete them after the judging is done so you can reuse it. And then people like me who go to look can't find it. Sneaky, sneaky people out there. So uh, so there's been a, a bit of that, like playing an inspector gadget and try to uh, try to catch these cheaters because, you know, we don't want none of that. We want to give the prizes to those who really have deserved it. I'm sure no one in this call is guilty of that, however.
0: This is a, a pure group. It does look like a pretty pure audience that we have here on the Fireside Chat. All right, well, yeah, thanks a lot, Chris, for, uh, for all these great updates you've been giving us every week. And uh, yeah, for all the great work you did um, coming up with this concept and executing on it. That's great.
2: Uh, hey, Chris. Also, like, great thank you from, from my side. I, I, these workshops were really helpful to show, for example, the Antelope workshop to a couple of people who are interested about the Antelope. Uh, that was pretty cool. So thanks for recording all these workshops. I think it's a great concept making all these available in public, like for people that missed maybe the event or can't attend the hackathon. I think it's a great document. So I like that.
7: Yeah, well for that one, thank Eric Passmore who's on the call. He's uh he did a great job with that. And um but you're right, having those all there, like I think that's a it's a gonna be a great utility uh for anyone looking to build a project and you're kinda not sure where to start. There's a whole series of of videos now, a design thinking workshop, what to think about and consider when you should and what you should or shouldn't do when you're designing a project, and then how to integrate it with Antelope, which is what Eric did, and that was a great a seminar. There was pitch deck building that Gavriel did from Helios. We did community building and marketing from uh, Waxa, Chris Waxa of Helios. And then there was tokenomics and gamification from Darren Swords uh, from the UX network. So there is a lot of content there that folks, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's worth having a look because I quite a bit there that's of use.
0: One more round of applause. Why not? All right, throwing it back actually to one of our previous topics today, uh, there was a few things I wanted to mention that I kinda kind of slipped my mind at the time. Um, Zach did a great post this week showcasing how six of the top seven all-time contributors to Antelope are now working for on the core protocol via the ENF and OCI. So let me just share this picture here. Uh, here we get the top eight all-time contributors. And then here's the list of uh, people, six of these people, that are now uh, you know actively working and recently working on uh, on the Antelope Code. Uh, so we've got Kevin Hefner, still part of OCI. Brian Johnson as well, part of OCI. But then we've got Areg, Bart, Matt, Bucky, who are now all part of the ENF team. and um, You know, it's great to see them coming back to the ecosystem, coming back uh, to Antelope. So, just wanted to uh, share that with you guys before we move on. And also the introduction article from the ENF uh, about Bart joining the team. All right. Um, Next up, I would like to invite. Xavier from Idinia to talk to us about the Antelope, Antelope Tools rebrand that, uh, that their team recently did. Um, yes, Xavier, you've unmuted yourself. That's the great first step. Now can we hear you, the critical part of this process? Again, maybe check your mic. Right-click the settings. Maybe it's the push-to-talk issue uh, that Bart had as well earlier. Give you a uh, give you a few seconds here to figure it out.
8: Can you guys hear me now?
0: There we go. There we go. Perfect. You, you are live on the fireside. Welcome. Awesome.
8: Thank you so much for the time today. And um, it's been great listening to everyone today and um, all the great things going on. Uh, So I'll be brief about what we've been working on. Um, As Stefan mentioned, it's uh, Antelope Tools. So we've recently rebranded a project that we began about three years ago. Uh, It's an open source option for uh, network and infrastructure monitor that any uh, EOSIO slash Antelope chain can use. And back then when we started, we didn't really see an open source network monitor available. So we decided to create our own that could be used by any network. And basically it's meant to display information on block producers or infrastructure based mostly on the BPJSON files and system contracts or on-chain data about the different participants. And we're running this tool currently on over 10 uh, networks. So EOS Mainnet, Jungle, TLOS, TestNets, Wax and TestNet, uh, Libre, uh, Ultra, um, Proton, Blackchain, and also some lesser-known private EOSIO chains have used the dashboard as well as a tool. So it's really been like a community public good from the beginning and um, with the you know intention to provide an interface to visualize block producer and know data objectively. Right, So you can kind of see what's on-chain, what we get from our BPJsons, and then draw your own conclusions, right? So we um, naturally submitted Pomelo grants for this and uh, received Pomelo funds in the last two seasons. And now we're seeing some of the results of that work. Um, We've used the funds to advance the project and recently rebranded to Antelope Tools. Uh, After the leap to Antelope on EOS Mainnet, I think it's a much better name for the project. And yeah, check it out. It's on the links that Stefan shared. And the way we did this is actually by partnering with local tech universities, and we have a team of four interns doing their like capstone graduation project, and they're using the Pomelo Grants to as, as an opportunity to onboard new developers as well and teach them about the Antelope protocol while creating valuable tools for the community. So I think it's a win-win where we can teach people to develop on top of Antelope, and at the same time... Uh, the outcome of that uh, internship program is community goods that we can all uh, enjoy and leverage. And I think that's been a really interesting kind of solution we came up with there. And, you know, we'd like, you know, we recently shared an update as a tweet, uh, what we've done with the with the tool. However, we're still working on some more features and actively working on the project to iron out a few things. And, um, yeah, we'll definitely look out for some changes um in the tool coming up soon, and we'll be you know again renewing our pomelo grant and you know thanks for everyone who supported us and and hopefully um you find the tool interesting and useful uh we definitely want to hear feedback from the community. What do you guys find um useful about it? What would you like to see and we can definitely take into consideration all that feedback and and build around what we you guys or the community feels is more useful. Uh, one of the things we've done as well is we've included an API layer to the dashboard. So this allows for other applications to get data in a really simplified fashion. So if you want to get a list of all the block producers with all their BPJSON data, you don't have to go to each block producer's URL and pull their BPJSON. We've got it all centralized in one place. Uh, we can also provide information on what endpoints are responding. So if you need a list of endpoints for any Network, we can provide those via JSON or API. And the idea being that we have the data visualization UI, but also an API that other developers can integrate with their applications. And a few applications already use this. So we're using it for some of our stuff like EOS rate or some voting portals we're working on, also some work that's being done in Eden. Um, But we'd like to just make it available for the community in general to have a kind of API for Antelope-based chains where we can source some data um, without having to do these complex queries or a whole bunch of different queries to the to the blockchain. So super proud of what the team did of interns, and I think it's like a successful execution of a Pomelo grant and um, you know reflection of all the great work that's been done around Pomelo. So yeah, thanks everyone who supported our team, and yeah, look out for the next season. And if you have any questions or have any ideas, uh, we're more than open to listen and uh, work on making it better constantly. So
0: yeah, thanks, guys. Oh yeah, I was muted. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, guys. Um, yeah, I was wondering, Xavier, uh, if you're also part of the EOS Costa Rica team, just to maybe put some uh, reference and context for people here on the call. Yeah, so we started as a
8: Genesis block producer on the EOS network, you know, back in back in the day as EOS Costa Rica, and uh, we've. Our original company name is actually Edenia. It started in 1987. So we've always been called Edenia, but we presented ourselves on the EOS network as EOS Costa Rica. And um, as we've seen new Antelope-based and EOSIO-based networks pop up, we've registered as block producers on those networks as Edenia. So EOS Costa Rica is kind of our EOS mainnet-focused block producer and community. And Edenia is more of the broader company behind it. And we're doing a whole bunch of work for Eden right now. So it's kind of serendipitous that our name, Edenia, just kind of fits in uh, with Eden as well. And um, definitely been taking taking a, a, a lot of the responsibility of running the Eden infrastructure and maintaining that code base. So um, we've been focusing more on this uh, Edenia name recently, but it, we're still EOS Costa Rica as block producer on the EOS Mainnet and everything else, um, Edenia. So a <laughs> bit of an identity crisis there maybe, but I hope that helps clarify it.
0: Yeah, that does help clarify it. I had no idea that Edenia was created before Eden. I thought it was created after. So yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, thanks for that update. Thanks for that context. And uh, yeah. Uh, I feel you on the uh, identity crisis uh, situation. You're definitely not the only team in EOS that has a kind of similar situation going on. All right. Well, thanks a lot for this great update. And definitely, I'd invite you to come back to the Fireside Chat anytime uh, your team has more updates, Antelope updates that you'd like to share to the community. This was great. Yeah, it'd be
8: my pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right, Um, next up here on our list of topics, kind of fits in with the, uh, just wanted to share the publication of the Eden Position paper that was recently posted on Helios. Here, I'm going to share it. Um, I don't know, Chris, I don't think this is... uh, this is your department, even though it's from Helios. But uh, if you have any thoughts to share on that, uh, we'd love to hear it. Or if anyone else wants to share some thoughts, join join in. Um. Yeah, I can I can
7: briefly speak to it. Um. There's no really that many departments within Helios, so you know it's all kind of we're all mixed together. But uh, yeah, that that basically came from a series of uh, workshops, essentially. Um. That uh, we did with the healing the Eden community, and we had I think fifteen or so show up to each. Uh, maybe it was eighteen and then twelve or something like that. It was the average of fifteen, so we we had a few people show up, and we basically just tried to brainstorm some fleshing out the idea of what is Eden, what could Eden become, and there's you know Eden is struggling with trying to re-identify itself, um, which often happens when you have. An organization that's founded around a particular individual in this case dan larimer who was sort of running eden the rules were going to be his rules and um the the like the bylaws for example were explicitly going to be under dan's control for the first year um and a a lot of that has obviously changed dan's moved on to other projects so those who joined eden uh, initially, when Dan was there, sort of had a this sort of view of what it was going to look like, um, and then that view was obviously changed. And so, this position paper was an attempt to try to gather feedback from within the Eden community as to what, how do we reposition what we're trying to do, what do we want to achieve, um, and, and what what should our path look like going forward. So, so it's a, it's an interesting. It was a, a neat workshop, and uh, there was a lot of different ideas, and they were essentially attempted to be distilled and, and kind of brought together and summarized in that uh, paper. So to those who are curious about um, some of the, the aspects of Eden and, and where we could or could not go, uh, basically are, are in that paper.
0: All right, great. Thanks for that. Quick recap. All right, we've got a few more topics on the list. Um, one of them is that we want to let you, everyone know that the Antelope Coalition calls are now being published in written format. So last week was the first time uh, the ENF published this uh, on their blog. And um, so if you click the link here that I just shared, You can get a written recap of the meeting. You also have a link to the video meeting if you want to watch the video. And so hopefully this allows uh, people, uh, everyone to to stay more up-to-date on what's going on with the Antelope Coalition. Um, The ENF is also going to, uh, moving forward, uh, translate this document so that other communities in in Chinese and Korea, they can also follow along Mm -hmm. with all the developments in the Antelope Coalition. So just a quick note about that, and um, what else? Yeah, the and then the final topic here we had uh, Rhett do an interview with Altcoin Daily in Dubai. Uh, Altcoin Daily is uh, one of the biggest crypto channels out there, so it was great to see some antelope exposure uh, there. Uh, it's a ten minute ten minute talk at um, one of the at the Future Blockchain Summit. Uh, One of the recent conferences here that San has attended on behalf of ENF and the EOS community. So those of you who want to check that out, I've shared the link in the chat. Um, All right, so that kind of wraps it up for the topics that I had on my list. Uh, At this point, you know, let's open it up to the community. If you have uh, thoughts, questions, you want to share an update, ask a question to someone in the chat. Uh, or just say hi to the community. Now's the time to do it. And we, uh, yeah, we invite you to do so. Hello. Hello. Who's this?
2: Nobody. Just wanted to say hello.
0: All right. Thanks for saying hello. Um, I see Mel here has a question for Eve, unfortunately I don't see Eve in the uh, in the Fireside anymore. Um, so I guess we're going to have to skip that question, Mel, sorry about that. Oh, for Zach, there we go, redirected to Zach, Zach is still here. Um, So Mel asked, has there been any updates on what other chains could potentially be joining the antelope coalition or when any agreement will be announced? And if so, could the addition of more chains reduce or slow down the development significantly due to different chain objectives? Zach, is that something that you can uh, touch upon?
1: Nothing's been decided yet, but it has been a topic of discussion. Uh, Basically, what happened was through the uh, web form on, um, I don't even think it's a web form, it's just an email, on antelope.io, there was a new project that reached out that wants to launch an antelope chain and they wanted to join the antelope coalition. And it just made it glaringly obvious what we already knew is, there one, there's no process of really, or criteria of how to bring a new antelope chain on. So that's all being discussed. Um, I don't think a decision will be made. I mean, decisions might be made, but I don't think a new member chain will be joining uh, probably for the rest of this year because it's going to take some time to hash all of that out. But then another um, thing that kind of came up is if a DAP wants to launch and a DAP needs support and they reach out to the foundation, they're like, hey, we want to deploy on EOS or Telos or Wax. All of those teams are going to kind of jump at it and depending I mean for this example. So the other example is a chain. So a chain's different. Like what happens when an antelope chain wants to launch? They're not gonna deploy on any antelope chain, no coalition chain. Um and they may even potentially become competition there's no entity to, or, or team to really onboard those types of projects. That's something else that's kind of being discussed uh, internally with Antelope, but it's probably nothing that's going to come to a re- resolution too soon. And that's mainly because Antelope uh, is essentially a loosely kind of loose knit group of the four chains as the coalition, but there's no actual foundation there's no antelope foundation for example there's no antelope business entity a lot of the things uh like for the invoicing and things like that a lot of that stuff the nf actually does by default but there's no there's currently no antelope organization we knew this it might be several years until it matures enough to, to be that but um i guess after all of that it's just something being discussed. Um, you could see the meeting notes. They're they're also timestamped. The ones that Steph just mentioned, it shows how it was brought up on the call. You can click the topic and jump right into the timestamp to see uh, what all the chain heads are saying about it. Um, I'm no longer on, on those calls. I'm still in different conversations. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope to see more chains. I think there's a lot of value to... Um, from a marketing standpoint also so you go to antelope.io it's still a fairly basic site but it shows the four coalition chains but to, to show antelope as being a, a largely adopted software i i think it would also be valuable to show all of the other chains that are running antelope even if they're not coalition members so that's just another nuance to the topic of um how do we, like, what does it mean to be a coalition member besides the shared funding? Because then there's also kind of like the governance weight of voting on different proposals. Um, So figuring all of that out, and it's just to figure all of that out is not a small task, and everyone needs to reach consensus on it. And there's really nobody within the coalition that has the capacity to take ownership of that, because it would divert, it would, uh, kind of take resources and mindshare away from something else that's a higher priority. So it's just something being discussed, but there, there's no conclusion on it, except probably to say that don't expect anything in the next couple of months. Um, another reason behind that is because the priorities were just voted on uh, within the last week or two uh, for the top three priorities uh, for the next quarter and, and what will be funded uh, through the Antelope Coalition. So because that vote just happened, I mean, if you're a chain looking to join the coalition, that vote uh, to dictate the roadmap of Antelope would be something that would be something of a value add of why someone would want to be part of the coalition. Um, So once again, just another reason it
0: at least won't be for a couple of months. And what are these uh, top three priorities that were voted on?
1: oh man um one was uh ram limitations so the issues like that wax is facing because they're literally at their maximum for uh ram the other one was uh bait domains um and then the last one i figured it was called it was from the um the core plus blue paper i just can't think of the name
9: Jeff is going to be joining the Antelope call, the
4: weekly Antelope upgrade call next week, and actually doing a demo of the coalition prioritization process and current roadmap.
9: Um, So, if if for those of those interested want to tune in to that, you can you can actually
4: get a demo of how it's all prioritized. Uh, And today we had a really good one. We had uh, Stephen give a demo of the ENF's program management
5: system. I'll drop a link to the. summary and video up for that one.
1: Tooling evolution. Sorry, it took me so long. That uh, that was the uh, third
9: priority. Hey everyone, there's something that I'd like to discuss. Is now a good time, or or or, or kind of announce, I guess.
0: Hey, welcome, Dogman.
9: Thank you, Stefan. So yeah. Um, Really great conversation and really and really awesome work as always and, and super exciting lately. So thank you so much everybody for the great fireside chat so far. Um, and there's a couple of things that I'd like to announce here or um, or mention and, and just, uh, just, just share with the community some really exciting things. Um, so I guess I'll start by saying that uh, if people were here on the fireside chat like three or four weeks ago, I mentioned that the Eden Fractal community uh, voted to adopt a new process called Eden Plus Fractal um, about four weeks ago. And this process essentially combines the Eden process and the factory process. So we meet every uh, week on Wednesday and we do one breakout room uh, where do, we do breakout rooms um, with five or six people. And then during the same room, uh, we both elect a delegate who serves in a council and then also um, give respect for contributions on from one to six in terms of how much people are helping the community. So basically we combine those two processes and, we've been doing this for four weeks now. And the way it was proposed, so Tadas proposed it, Tadas Kunas. he's an awesome uh, developer and builder who works a lot with the Eden community. And so he proposed it, and he proposed like a really elegant system where uh, the past four councils from the past four weeks can vote on community decisions. And this was a big discussion for Eden Factor because since we started doing these meetings like 20 weeks ago, we just had a 22nd meeting uh, today. But um, we needed a process to make community decisions and we wanted to, you know, uh, find some pioneering process where we could be more democratic and have everybody's voice and, and and lead a way where people can cooperate to make community decisions. So it was really cool that um, Tadas made this and then the community rallied around it. And we've been doing it for the past four weeks. And so it had the four week Buddha process. And this week, today was the first day that it was like formally uh, ready because there was four weeks. And so we tried it out for the first time, and we also passed a proposal for the first time. So it was quite a simple uh, proposal. Um, it, was, it was just a change of time, and I'll share a bit more details about that. Um, but first, I'll also say, too, that I, um, I, I wrote an article recently about... Um, or, or, or I wrote an article and basically curated a lot of the conversation that happened in the community, as well as the DOS's proposal, so you can learn how it works. And that's at edencreators.com slash fractal. EdenCreators.com slash plus, and I'll share the link there in case people are interested in learning more about this really cool uh, process that we adopted. But yeah, uh, how we use this process. I also put it out in another article yesterday called Eden at EdenCreators.com uh, slash time, suggesting to change the time because they like savings times and a few other reasons. And the community used the process for the first time today to agree and come to consensus to change the time of meetings in like truly really decentralized fashion. Uh, somebody on the call said it was a beautiful process of decentralized governance and like that it, uh, so it was fun, a little chaotic at times But and we also started small so next week we're going to focus on what time to do because we started talking about that but all we came to agreement with today was to change the time but nonetheless really cool and I'll share the article there uh, and then I'll also share that I did an interview with Dadas, uh about the Eden Plus Factor process um, about three or four weeks ago and I've been working on a new show I'm launching a new show called Creator Talk Show or Creator Talk um, where I'll be hosting conversations with creators about creativity and collaboration, and much more. Um, I'll be excited to speak with with EOS community members who are doing awesome things, and then just people in general who are doing awesome things creatively in the world, like developers and musicians and artists and scientists and all sorts of amazing creations out there. I'm really excited about this. I've been working on it for a long time, and it's like a great opportunity to do a first show with the das. So I'm uh, planning to release that the next week, and I'm um, really excited to share it with you. I'll also share a little teaser video that I made. I had some fun with some art and then also we did an interview uh, to Das, myself and Patrick on the Nova Crypto channel um, where we did a, an update about Eden Fractal and talked a bit about the Eden Plus Fractal process. We happened to be the first three delegates to it with the process. Um, so we did that a couple weeks ago and I'll also share the link there in case people want to look in there. That was really cool. Um, and then I've also just been... Uh, working to to increase the production game of the Eden meetings. Um, So I've been um, making some videos and doing some timestamps and so forth, um, and all all these videos are being posted on the Eden Creators YouTube channel. So I'll also post a link to the most recent meeting from last week, and people can explore what's been going on there, and people are welcome to join too. They're every Wednesday, currently at 13 UTC, but the time might change now because we have a process. So. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to share this. I'd be happy to answer any questions or anything like that. But I just wanted to share. I thought that was really cool. So uh, congratulations and thank you to everybody who's there. And yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening. And thanks, to everybody, for all the great work.
4: Yeah, baby.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks, Dogman, for that Eden Fractal update. Thank you. Tony, do you want to come on the air talk about the latest Coffee with Gray Mass podcast? I can um, read the intro. I can read the description, but it'd be better coming from the Gray Mass
6: team. Oh no, it's all right. Um, I'm a little under the weather today, so. <clears throat> um, but no, we uh, just put out the uh, new episode. Uh, we're kind of going over. Um, history of gray mass and kind of where we've been, but also uh, what it's like trying to uh, be a, a development team in this space. Uh, there's some fascinating ideas uh, and kind of go over a lot of the pros and cons of being crypto native, uh, working in the industry and trying to help other, uh, uh, you know, kind of how we get along. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a good listen. Um, it's my, actually a, uh, uh, um uh miles who used to handle uh hosting duties uh for the last well for since the beginning um handed off the reins so uh it's my first time at the wheel but uh hopefully I don't stammer and stutter too much throughout it but uh yeah um we're going to try to do uh another one coming up soon here uh, we're kind of going over a couple different topics a couple different things we want to cover um but yeah, it's uh it's been pretty going pretty good so far. So I hope you guys like it. If uh any comments or any ideas, um please let us know. Uh um still taking uh audio tips too, if there's uh something that you notice or something that sounds a little squiffy or having some uh problems with volume and whatnot, tech stuff, definitely let me know. Um we're also looking to uh open things up for some questions, maybe do some Q&A one of these episodes. So if you have something specific for uh, Graymass or for Aaron uh, or anybody else on our team. Uh, we're kind of opening it up a little bit here to see what we can uh, see what people want to talk about. So uh, feel free to reach on out. Let me know uh, you can reach out to me here or um, yeah, that's about it.
0: All right. Thank you for the update and uh, hopefully you get uh, better soon.
6: Yeah, it just gives me a nice little bassy tone though, which is always nice. So <laughs> Definitely definitely want <laughs> it while I got it. <laughs> nice.
0: still got 50 people in here live on discord plus whoever else is watching live on the other platforms that's great um i guess last call if you have questions or comments or you want to say hi uh we'll probably be wrapping up soon if uh if there's nothing else to discuss for this week Paul asking if there's other former hires from block one on the roadmap to join the ENF. Uh, Are there even people left that we want to join the ENF? Seems like they've got all the superstars that we heard about. Um, There's still some. There's still more. There's there's more to get. Let's go get them. Let's go more. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get them. Um obviously I don't think they can comment on any ongoing negotiations or anything like that. So I don't think we're gonna get uh an answer uh to that question. But uh yeah, apparently there's more to get. Let's go get them. And I imagine the more people who join ENF, the more of these superstars who join ENF attracts these other superstars to also want to join this superstar team. So Definitely some good momentum building here for EOS.
9: There are more.
0: There are more. Who was that? Was that Zach? Yeah. Nice.
1: Tell us more. Like a no, I mean, just in general, there, there. So a lot of the team came from like the the like the engineers and stuff. A lot of them came from like uh, the original team that was managing the software. But there's other uh, really talented hires we've made that have had nothing to do with the EOS ecosystem. So as far as bringing um, like OGs back, I, I think there's probably still a small handful of people on the wish list, let's but get, there's also always... Let's
0: get uh,
1: <laughs> Oro, uh,
0: Ash, let's get him back.
1: It's another. I, it was funny. I I just house. uh I just saw a picture from a Halloween party of uh, it was at Ash's house. Ash, Rob Finch, and Mark Woods together at a Halloween party. So they're all hanging out. I'll see. Um, I'm excited to uh, see Pete K. That's someone I would love to get. I've been lob- made it no secret. I've been trying to lobby him since last August September. Uh but I'll be with him in Miami at the end of November uh for the central Miami but he's he's he seems quite happy with what he's doing, so no no promises but there there's some people out there though that we would love to get.
4: We need to get that whole scooter gang back scooter gang I miss that. <laughs> I'm
0: so sad I missed that.
1: Is there is there a wish list or something? Should should we have a a community wish list of people we should look into? The whole the whole uh, I think we missed the boat on the Diffuse team, but they were awesome. It'd be cool to uh, I don't think it's possible because of their contract with uh, the graph, but that was an awesome
0: team. Nice Daniel Keys sharing the B one June pick. Oh man need to replace that voice with antelope. Make it even better.
1: Oh man, I forgot about a bunch of these people.
0: Or some of them. Mel is wondering if we're gonna get some announcements on B1 litigation. I'm pretty sure the answer is gonna be no no comments. Pretty sure that's always gonna be the answer on that until there's an announcement. All right, I think we're gonna wrap it up here. So thank you, uh, everyone, for joining. It was another great fireside chat. Love hanging out with uh, everyone once a week. Really fun times. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. So until then, hope you guys have a good evening, have a good weekend, have a good week. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. Until then, let's go Yos. Go Yos.
4: Go Yos. Yo, yo,
5: yo.